Hey everybody, welcome to this bonus episode, which is also featured on our YouTube channel, recently rebranded as the Disciple Makers YouTube channel. So be sure to check out the video if you'd like the visual, and if not, enjoy this audio version. God bless. Hey there, family. Welcome back to Discipleship Vlogs. I'm Joey Hungerford, and it's been a while because I've been researching for this minimum four-part series on the history and meaning of baptism. It's important to know our history so we don't make the same mistakes, and it's easy to make mistakes when discussing important topics on baptism, like is it necessary for salvation, or is it an optional token? Should infants get baptized? We're going to address all of that and more, so stay tuned for this series. So first part of this series, I want to talk about the Old Testament context and the Jewish history around baptism. And the first thing to understand with that is ritual washings. There are many types of ritual washings in the Jewish faith for purity, for cleansing. There were Torah regulations for hand washing and even foot washing and even full body immersion before you entered the temple or the Holy of Holies. Essentially, the Levitical law set this up to purify from unclean things. But these ritual baths became a daily aspect of Jewish life. They had to be constantly immersed for purity, to celebrate different aspects of Jewish life and festivals, and for entrance to the temple to go and meet God. They had to have a lot of washing. That sets up our biblical context. Context is important because Jewish baptism, of course, sets up several meanings for Christian baptism, which we'll talk about later. One of them being to draw near to God. If you need to immerse yourself before entering the Holy of Holies, so too there's something about Christian baptism that must be done to draw near to God. They also used these ritual washings for Gentile converts or proselytes to join the Jewish faith, to be converted and have a new birth into the Jewish community. Here's an entry from the Jewish Encyclopedia describing this. It says, the baptism of the proselyte has for its purpose his cleansing from the impurity of idolatry and the restoration to the purity of a newborn man. The bathing in the water is to constitute a rebirth. Wherefore, the child is just born and he must bathe in the name of God. That is, assume the yoke of God's kingdom and imposed upon him by the one who leads him into baptism, or else he is not admitted into Judaism. For this very reason, the Israelites, before the acceptance of the law, had, according to Philo on the Decalogue, as well as according to rabbinical tradition, to undergo the rite of baptismal purification. So you see that the ceremonial washing was part of the conversion process into Judaism, symbolizing a spiritual rebirth and entrance into the faith, uh, taking the yoke and the teachings upon themselves of Judaism. So if all of this immersion and ceremonial washing was a daily aspect of Jewish life, how did they come into contact with all of that water? Well, they found a mikvah. Mikvah is a Jewish word that just means a collection of water. And usually they preferred to find running, living water, a spring or a river. But if that wasn't around, they would collect rainwater in mikvah baths or pools. And there were over 150 of these found in the city of Jerusalem because that was a very holy place. Some of them were even big enough to hold hundreds of people so that they could be immersed, 
before festivals, entering the temple, etc. And archaeologists have found mikvah baths all over. Uh, not only Jerusalem, they were also found in the Qumran region. And that was home to a community of Jewish ascetics called the Essenes. And they wrote down everything. They were very good scribes and they record that they had daily ritual baths. So in their preserved sacred texts, they wrote down that these ritual baths were connected to God's future reign and to repentance. The historian Josephus actually records that they would immerse three times a day. This is pretty serious stuff. Now imagine that in your Christian walk, you might not come across baptism that often, or maybe you don't see one that often or think about it, or maybe you yourself are considering doing it someday. But if you were living in the first century in one of these Jewish communities, it would probably be on your mind three times a day because you would have to do one of these ceremonial washings. Now, when we're talking about the Jewish context, it's also important to talk about the Old Testament typology. These water rituals represented a transition point from an old world to a new world. Think Noah and the flood. From bondage to freedom, think Israel fleeing Egypt. From impurity to purity, think of the Levitical laws we've been talking about. These water rituals not only cleansed you, but they symbolically prepared you for something new, something pure, something free. As I said before, they sanctified a people for God's holy presence, to draw near to him. So how do we know that these things symbolize baptism? It, it comes down to typology. Typology is a hermeneutical device by which the author sees past events as having meaning for something. For example, Jesus related the Passover with the present reality of the Lord's Supper. He was using a typology. These types come up for baptism with the Jews crossing the Red Sea, uh, Noah going through the flood, e even Jonah in the belly of the whale. I actually think all of those are also types for the resurrection, and a type can refer to multiple things. So let's just look at the flood and the exodus, how they represent baptism. And we'll look to the New Testament because they are referred to as referring to baptism. When you look at 1 Peter 3, 1 Corinthians 10, Peter and Paul use the Greek word typon. Uh, literally a type of something. So Peter looks back at redemptive history and he says that baptism is an anti-type, an anti-typon in the Greek of the Noah flood. And he connects the two. In 1 Corinthians 10 verses 1 and verse 6, Paul refers to the Red Sea as an example or a type, typon, for Christian baptism. So again, this is where context is important because to the New Testament authors, the Jewish redemptive history served as a type for their Christian theology surrounding baptism. You take a look at 1 Corinthians 10 verses 1 through 4, Paul says something very interesting there. He says, baptized into Moses, uh, entering the covenant. Uh, Moses led them through the Red Sea to the promised land into a baptism of sorts. Under him, they assumed the yoke of Judaism and the kingdom and the covenant. And they also witnessed the salvation of God at the Red Sea. Look at Exodus 14 and 15. This is God's redemption and salvation for them. So there's a lot of theology packed into this type for Christian baptism. Paul refers to that redemption at the Red Sea as a baptism into Moses. 
that's significant because Paul is going to play on that in Romans 6 and elsewhere to say that Christian baptism is into Christ, two different redemptive acts. You might remember that earlier in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 13, they're all arguing about whose name they should be baptized in, into the name of Paul, into the name of Apollos, and he says, no, we were all baptized into the name of Christ. This is for our unity. So Paul refers to the baptism of Moses because he wants the Corinthians to know the Christian baptism is a comparable act of redemption and deliverance. Just as they were baptized into Moses, we're now baptized into Christ. Take another quick look at 1 Peter 3 and how he uses this type. In 1 Peter 3.21, baptism is an antitype, a counterpart, a pattern of the cleansing flood. It's a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus. This is actually one of the only times the New Testament refers to the new birth and connects it with baptism. But I want to use it to make a transition because what's the difference? If a Gentile wanted to convert to Judaism, they went through a new birth into Judaism, but what's the difference between that experience and this Christian baptism? Well, it's very important. Peter says in the same passage that baptism isn't just the removal of dirt from the body, but a cleansing of the inner person. It's a pledge of a clear conscience towards the Lord. And that's a, a major difference from the original Jewish context. Baptism isn't just cleansing the outer body, it's making an appeal. It's a baptism that saves through the cleansing of the inner person, the believer who's making their pledge to God. And that word there, pledge of a good conscience, you see in the extra biblical first and second century literature that it often came up in legal documents. It referred to the practice of answering a question of whether or not you would keep a contract. So building on the Jewish cleansing context, Peter says that this is a cleansing of the inner person and them making their appeal to God. It's an answer to keep that contract, to keep oneself in allegiance to God. I'll point out just a few other differences because the New Testament points out other differences between the Jewish baptism and our modern Christian baptism. Over in Hebrews, the author refers to instruction about various baptism. And it says that there are foundational principles for Christianity, so we should pay attention to them. Look at Hebrews 6 verses 1 through 2. It says, therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ, the first principles, and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, that's important to our Christian baptism, and of instruction about washings, uh, cleansings, various baptisms, other translations say, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. So the author of Hebrews right here makes a clear difference between faith and repentance and the various baptisms or the various Levitical cleansings. If you go over and read Hebrews chapter 9 verses 8 and 9, it says, by this the Holy Spirit indicates that the way into the holy places is not yet opened as long as the first section is still standing, which is symbolic for the present age. According to this arrangement, gifts and sacrifices are offered that cannot perfect the conscience, remember when Peter referred to that, of the worshiper. Not perfect the conscience of the worshiper. Uh, ceremonial baptisms and washings of the Levitical order couldn't do that. 
but faith and repentance and Christian baptism can. Christian baptism ushers us into a new reality of which the Levitical baptisms were only a shadow. So think about the ministry of Jesus. It's an interesting period in redemptive history because Jesus comes on the scene and he's within the overlap. The, the kingdom hasn't come yet, but people are coming to salvation. So during Jesus's earthly ministry, people became right with God by becoming righteous Jews and they were saved and they got their salvation, but they didn't become born again Christians. As Jesus told Nicodemus, and it seems Nicodemus didn't take him up on that offer, and they couldn't become born-again Christians because the Spirit had not come yet and hadn't been poured out yet, and the gift of the Spirit comes in Christian baptism. Uh, the church hadn't start yet. Jesus hadn't died on the cross yet for our sins. So during that period, Jews weren't required to be baptized until after Jesus had died on the cross. And this is why you read through the Gospels and you don't see every single Jew getting baptized as a born-again Christian. They have a baptism of repentance to get right with God and righteous as a Jew. We're no longer living in the overlap of two covenants today. We're not under the old covenant. We're not in the overlap. We're under the new covenant, which Jesus referred to as coming in the future. And he referred to a baptism of water and of spirit. He referred to a future rebirth and a future baptism that would happen by the Holy Spirit. I think that's where we'll pick it up next time with early Christian baptism and what the early church fathers said about it. So stay tuned for that video. Also check out the blog in the description where I have further notes, recommendation, resources on baptism. Please subscribe to the channel if you found this video helpful and God bless.